Hi, I'm Jesse. Uh, in our series, Radical Family, we're now going through this bullet point list in Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we looked at verse verse 5 yesterday in the first half, but now let's look at the second half. He calls, uh, he says, Therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust. We talked about those three yesterday. Let's zoom in on what's next. Evil desire and greed, which is idolatry. Jesse, how how is greed idolatry? Greed is greed. Idolatry is idolatry. How can he make this equivalency? Like to say that, that greed is idolatry. And what exactly is meant by evil desire? I think that uh, anything that comes from our carnal nature, anytime, uh, anytime we have a, a desire, it could be it could be sexual. He did just use examples of sexual morality and purity and lust. And then the very next one is evil desire, but it, it's not isolated strictly to sex. What we do with our money and the way that we obtain it, the way that we earn our living, if it's not done with absolute integrity, that could be an example of an evil desire. And to equate greed with idolatry speaks to uh, a malcondition of the heart to have taken to unethical measures to earn your living or to become obsessed with money is to have committed an act of idolatry. We saw this in, in 2 Corinthians that a love of money is a root of all sorts of evils and that because of it, some people have just given up on the faith. And, uh, and it's, it's true, it's true. When, when money becomes your idol, you're like the rich young ruler who walked away sad. Instead of following Jesus, you chose money because the means by which you earn your living has crossed an ethical line and your heart's grown harder to that. You're now effectively worshiping. It's like setting up an idol and that idol is money, wealth, status, things, luxury, like that, that has now taken the place of God on your heart. Right, watch out, man. Watch out. When greed becomes idolatry, that's your church. That's your God whom you worship. The rich young ruler walked away sad. He was given the exact same invitation as the other disciples. And it said, it, it said that it, it, it's incredibly difficult for him because the, the rich young ruler is asked to do something that the others didn't quite have to do. You see, Peter was a fisherman and it was a big deal to drop his net, but that was about all he had was his net, right? Uh, I've told stories about cast net fishing before and how, uh, you know, my, uh, my bride brought out, the <laughs> brought out the fish bag to me while I was cast net fishing with my, my cousin Chad and my dad had always told us, find a woman who will carry the bag and here she comes carrying the bag. Well, um, it is a big deal to cast net fish and to leave your net behind. He, Peter was leaving behind what he knew. And then after the death of Jesus uh, and the resurrection of Jesus thereafter, he's, he goes back to what he knew before he goes back to fishing again. But he didn't have to, he didn't have to leave behind all of his wealth. Uh, when Jesus said, follow me, I mean, he didn't have, he didn't have, you know, fancy cars and, and, and a lot of money to leave behind, but the rich young ruler did. The rich young ruler was also very proud. He had come to depend upon himself spiritually. And uh, his heart was in his possessions. His idol was his money. And so the invitation to sell everything you own and give it all to the poor and then come follow me was an invitation to do exactly what Peter did. It's just the stakes were higher for him. 
And so Jesus says it's easier for the for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to be saved. It's so it's so difficult because your security can be wrapped up in your worldly possessions, and your unwillingness to let go of that security uh, is an act of idolatry. If your hope is in worldly wealth, it's in something that's uncertain. You just don't know what's going to happen, man. And if you're building, building, building up an earthly kingdom, you're building up an, a kingdom in a place where it doesn't matter, where it doesn't last. You're committing an act of idolatry. You're forsaking the heavenly horizon and you're instead trading it for the cheap, temporary substitute. Evil desire could speak to numerous things, not only the sexual stuff, but also segues into greed, which is idolatry. Now, verse six has more bad news. In light of all of these things that are cataloged because of these things, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. Whoa, watch out. The discipline of God is how God corrects his children. The wrath of God is something that a child of God will never experience. You, you will not have experienced God's wrath. All right? uh, the wrath of God is, think Sodom and Gomorrah. All right? Think the, the consequences you know, of rejecting Christ. The wrath of God is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now put away all the following. And then that brings us to our text tomorrow. All right, so uh, in light of this, the, the sexual morality and the lust, the impurity, the evil desire, and the greed, which is idolatry, because of these things, watch out, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. That used to be your world, but it's not anymore. It's not anymore. You're a new creation. You've been called higher, Christian. So you repent from sin, you leave these things behind, and you need not ever worry about experiencing God's wrath. But why would we then echo the behaviors of this world in the disobedient and commit the same kind of acts for which God's wrath is coming? It's a stern reminder. And then uh, tomorrow, we're gonna get uh, even more specific. It's about to give you more rapid fire. <laughs>